Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal and to episode number 70. And I'm back again and this time with another new guest. So a big thank you to Amir who came on and spoke to me a couple of days ago now. Um, it was really interesting to, to talk to Amir about uh, mental health but also the crossover a little bit with wrestling as well. Something that we both enjoy um, and I think for some people we kind of touch on it a little bit that actually wrestling for us can be not just a source of entertainment or a type of soap for us to watch and enjoy but sometimes can be a form of escapism as well for those that struggle with maybe mental health or other things in their life so it's really cool to start to get into that a little bit um, and Amir will obviously talk about that in the episode. He does have his own podcast um, which you can check out. Uh, I'm just going to try and pull it up now because I did that really bad thing where I wasn't actually prepared. I was like, oh yeah, I'll just do the quick bit at the beginning and didn't have the link up. So sorry about that. Um, so yeah, you can go and check them out and they're at the Smart Plug. Um, so you can check them out on Twitter. They're on Facebook as well. Um, I think they're on most of the streaming services. So if you want to download their podcast, uh, you can go through and do that. There's loads of different episodes depending on what you're interested in. So do check them out, uh, and there'll be links again, obviously, through the podcast and towards the end. So big thank you to you guys for downloading this episode, for listening in again to Mike's Open Journal. Uh, I've done a couple of really cool things in the last week or so, which I'm going to mention in another episode. Um, yeah, I'll mention those separately. If you are interested in coming on to the podcast in the future, please just get in contact through Facebook, through Twitter, uh, Instagram, wherever. Uh, as always, all the links, everything goes through to the website, which is mikesopenjournal.com, so you can find everything there. I'm going to drop you straight into my conversation with Amir. Uh, thank you very much for listening. For us, we obviously, we know each other through, or well, we got, I suppose, put in contact with each other um yes through sort of uh, referred to yeah it was a bit of a weird i've had a couple like that now um but this is like the biggest this sounds weird the biggest investment in like a relationship based on that referral <laughs> that's uh that's quite an honor to be honest yeah. i feel quite humble by that <laughs> um but yeah so how i i used to work with drew at andover um but i don't know how you know him or um, I met Drew at university. Uh, oh, so when I was okay. when I was twenty, I went to Sony University, and uh, okay. Drew was essentially the first person I really got to speak to when I got to university. We both did media writing at university at Solon Uni in Southampton, and yeah, he was just kind of one of those people. You know, you know Drew obviously quite yeah. well. He's such a gentle, honest soul, and from the get go, like I was having a very rough time actually with my mental health when I arrived at university, struggling to make any sort of friends. And mm. Drew was the first person who really sort of clicked. You know, he had no kind of inhibitions or any kind of, I don't know, he didn't sort of back away from conversation. You know, some people can be yeah. a little bit nervous when they first meet you. And Drew was very much like, hi, I'm Drew. How you doing? You know, I'm into music and stuff like that. And I just mm. thought, he's oh, just a really nice guy. And uh, me and Drew sort of cultivated a very good friendship over those three years. He was always there to listen and speak to me literally from the get go. From the moment I met Drew, he was quite happy to listen to me ramble on like an emotional wreck whenever I made mistakes. And I'd like to think by the end of those, 
those three years, we cultivated a nice friendship and it wasn't just all me sort of crying to him about how miserable <laughs> I was about single life or relationships. So I was like, let's have a drink. We go down the pub a lot, the Royal Oak and go and watch football and have a good time that way. So that's kind of oh, how I met Drew. I know when you're saying about like him having time and stuff, I think um, like when I think it was just as I was leaving, um, we went out and um, I think he'd said about like going out for a drink or something. So we went out for a drink after work and we, we sat down and he was like, right, tell me what's been going on then. And he was like the first person that had really got um, like there was something going on with me and it was something I'd only spoken to one other person in that workplace about. And, um, like, just the, like, his approach to it was very, like, I know there's something going on. Um, I, I want to give you the opportunity to come forward and not make you feel awkward about it. Um, but yeah. at the same time, give you a bit of an out. Like, if you wanted to say, oh, no, there's nothing, it's, I could have said that. Um, but just that it kind of gone out of his way almost just to say actually like let's go out let's sit down let's have a chat like, tell me about what's going on um and it wasn't that kind of passive like oh how are you like what's going on it was like no let's sit down let's take some time um and it was really nice there's not many occasions I don't think when you get that interaction or that opportunity from someone like I'm, I'm yeah. really fortunate I've had it with a couple of people um but for someone to yeah take their time out and um i guess yeah just give you that opportunity is really really nice so um it was really cool for me when uh drew obviously mentioned yourself because of the i can't quite think of the original conversation or thread that that was part of but um i was like he understands and knows what i've gone through and what i'm open to talking about and then i think it's almost like as soon as someone else gets mentioned by that person you think well yeah. actually they're going to get it as well because the person that's kind of forwarded them on gets it if that makes sense yeah i think when we first started talking on twitter like obviously drew had sort of mentioned like obviously he hadn't originally mentioned you and he just asked oh how have you been because we don't keep in contact as much as we would like nowadays you know he's mm. in winchester i'm in the portsmouth region so um, and he was just like, well, this guy here, you know, he does podcasts as well. And obviously he's dealing with mental health and stuff like that. So perhaps you'd like to talk to him. And I was like, oh, hello. I <laughs> just <laughs> randomly tagged on Twitter, like, hello, just the, the windows of Twitter. That is just yeah. this open apartment block where everyone just shouts at each other for a different window and just waving through the sea of noise and, uh, finding somebody who sort of has a similar kind of outlook, I suppose, someone who's got a similar kind of journey to me. It's nice, isn't it? That's one of the great things, I think, about social media. There's so many issues and struggles and difficulties that there are around it. And I think especially with mental health as well, that can be an issue. But there's, for me personally, there's so many more benefits. Um, and being able to talk in a fairly open space about mental health and being able to discover other people um mm. like yourself in that way um i just i can't see how how that would happen without twitter um specifically yeah. because of the way for example like facebook or instagram or whatever else works um i just see them a lot more as kind of closed circles of people uh whereas twitter so much more open it allows for those kind of connections to happen 
yeah, Twitter sort of affords open conversation without the the uncomfortable nature of being in front of somebody. There's a certain kind of keeping someone at a distance while appreciating them and letting them come closer to you personally. Very much like you would in any relationship, I suppose. You learn to accept people more and more as you go over time. But Twitter's really good at that because you're essentially in control of that in a way. You know, you have ultimate supremacy i suppose via your twitter account in the way that you interact with people the way you speak to people and yeah you mentioned the fact that there are some bad things about it and obviously with the world and the way it is and the way people react so badly in certain situations it's kind of nice that it can also afford you this incredible luxury of being able to meet unique people who almost click with you on a personal basis like a bit like our listeners you know we have Mm. quite a few listeners of our own who have mental health issues or like to discuss it privately obviously i won't mention their names but it's just it's very refreshing to have that at your disposal and to be able to use it essentially to use social media for good like facebook Mm. like you say my facebook is all about that's an enclosed circle. That's the people that are closest to me. I like to keep it. I'm not one of these people who's like, add everybody I've ever met in some sort of situation. I just kind of use that as a personal front, really, almost like an office, really, you know, mm. where my friends and family can sort of check in on what I'm doing. And Twitter is more for me to sort of venture out into the open world and meet people. Yeah, I like that. That's quite a good, that's quite a good way to describe it. I think I'm falling into that gap where... I'm now starting to add a few people that I've had like conversations with on Twitter and I'll add them as a friend on Facebook. And it's like, it's a little bit of disjointment where you've got those people that you've known for years. And like you say, you know, like close family and friends and stuff. And then all of a sudden you're starting to get a bit of a crossover now, but then I don't really talk to any of those people on Facebook because we know each other through Twitter. We, we talk on Twitter. We don't need to talk on Facebook. So it does seem a bit, it's a bit of a strange one there. But I know you were kind of started to hint a little bit about um, the other thing that we both now interact with um, that you lead yes. with is um, your own podcast. So I don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I didn't want to obviously sort of come charging in and go, listen to no. my podcast, people. Like, <laughs> um, uh, obviously, <laughs> I just come come to our wrestling world. I uh, I noticed that you were talking recently on a podcast with one of your female uh guess about wrestling and that and i was like oh wrestling chat and it was like it was quite yeah. vague so i was like i was hoping to get into a really in-depth discussion about <laughs> brock lesnar but i sort of i um yeah no i i basically run my own podcast it's kind of like three or four mini podcasts combined into one kind of sphere so it's mm. called the smart plug and the idea is you know it's a very poor word play on spark plug essentially i thought oh, how can i fit the word smart in here and just kind of ram raided it in. it was initially a blog and then it essentially grew into a podcast i finally sort of plugged up the courage and said to myself right i'm just going to go ahead and do the whole podcast thing and before i knew it i had about three or four dedicated friends who do it with me and each one of them is almost like a a connoisseur of a certain type of wrestling so we have like the wwe ones week in the universe and then we have the indie 50 which is more independent based wrestling because we're both very strongly uh linked with independent wrestling myself and reyes who does the podcast with me and then there's manic mondays which is actually steve's concept steve's idea and the idea behind that is to sort of take you back to the attitude era because i know a lot of people are like oh i don't watch it anymore now that stone cold and the undertaker are gone so that's kind of trying to almost have a bit of fun and just relay our memories and put them onto a podcast. 
so we've got those free really and then we do like special podcasts for pay-per-views and stuff like that so it's, there's a lot of it there you can end up doing three four five a week but in terms of what it does for me and the interaction that i get with the listeners i wouldn't change it for the world to be honest and i think it's cool because like you say you've got the different avenues for the things that people connect with and wrestling is or can be kind of like that where people really get into um like a certain brand or business or company and they'll follow that and only that um so it is quite nice that you kind of look at all those different areas but keep them separate with different episodes um like i've kind of got to the stage now where i will listen to all of the episodes but some of them some of them I'm listening to and some of them I'm hearing. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, and, I don't understand yeah. that. And the ones that I'm hearing are the ones where I don't really watch the product. Um, so I'm more like, I'm kind of interested because I'm sort of hearing your view and at the same time, you're basically telling me what's going on. So you are my show. Um, rather than, like, I don't watch 205 Live. Don't just It just doesn't appeal to me in the way that I feel like it probably should. Um, but I'm more than happy, like, I will listen to you and you can tell me about it. Um, and that's enough for me. And I think that's quite nice. And I've had that before where I've had a couple of people say they were doing like work in the kitchen or in the bathroom. And they're like, there's a couple of episodes where you were kind of on and I wasn't particularly listening, but it's just nice to have your voice in the background while I was doing some jobs. (laughs) And I thought that's quite nice because you get into that run of like, actually, this is something that I enjoy. I want to listen to. I want to hear what's going on. Um, and those episodes that you really want to listen to, like you do, and you make that time to kind of sit there and listen to it in your headphones when you're walking around or in the bedroom. Um, and then the other episodes are there, and it's really nice to have that. I think especially for someone like me that really struggles with like quiet time, um, mm. and it gives my mind a chance to like race and I'll struggle with certain thoughts. So for me, just to have something on as like a distraction something to listen to um, whether that's actively or not makes a real difference so I quite like having a flow of stuff and I can jump between um, like I've got some wrestling podcasts that I listen to mental health um, like murder mystery crime stuff um, and a couple of others I've had to give the like the crime stuff a break though because I felt like I was getting too much into, I'd spent, honestly, I spent about six weeks just listening to um, like old crime um, podcasts. And mm-hmm. I was like, dude, you're getting too into like all of these murders and stuff. Like you can't be listening to that all the time. That's not good for you. It's <laughs> quite <laughs> like, a dark just, subject to yeah, approach I was really. Like, you need to break it well. up. Like listen to something light. <laughs> and... <laughs> um, I found, I think that was around the time I found you and the, um, there's the keeping it candid podcasts with a couple of girls that talk about just like popular stuff. And that's only, I think it's like half an hour every other week. And actually that's really nice for me because it's not often enough that I really need to worry about it. It's not that long, but it breaks up, um, like the constant flow of stuff that I'm listening to. Um, and in the last two weeks I've had, uh, my dad wrote a porno. I've been blitzing that. Um, That's an awesome name. And I've I've almost finished that now, so I've had to start to ease up. But it's hilarious. Like, um, there's three presenters, um, and the one of them, his dad wrote this porno, and the three of them just kind of read through the book. The book is written awfully. It's absolutely atrocious. Um, but it's just the humour of these three people reading it, and it's 
the different ways I guess you relate to people like it's nice like you were mentioning having those different people on for different types of episodes you've kind of got the regularity of it's the same people but it's not the same people on every time no we've got a quite an eclectic bunch as well like, I'm quite proud of the fact I have a very wide spectrum of friends they're very different in their you know their sort of human nature the way they react to things they're obviously very different people across the board you know some of them are quite intense I like to think of you know Steve on WWE he's a very intense and very upfront kind of guy whereas someone like Ray who does Indie 50 is a much more reserved kind of guy and I like that because it gives me a chance to explore different avenues in terms of personalities and obviously it just keeps me I don't know it gives me a variety of conversations as opposed to almost bottlenecking myself into a mm. certain type of personality it's important to me that i'm out there and i'm meeting different people i've always been a very culturally diverse person anyway because of my background as well so i sort of go out there and i don't know i'm not afraid to dip my toes when it comes to things like that. Yeah. i know certain people would like to think that they only stick to a certain populace or a certain type of person you know they sort of i don't know they almost kind of get into a tunnel vision mode where they just zone in on a certain type of people and they don't go outside their comfort zone enough mm. for me it's the opposite if I'm not outside that comfort zone, I get uncomfortable myself. Yeah, you want to put? I've I've been to uh, uh, like a bloggers meetup before, and there was one girl there, and in the first half an hour, um, she'd mentioned that she didn't really associate with a gender, and then I kind of felt like everyone else that was there sort of was like, oh, okay, and then wanted to talk to her less and I was like oh my god I want to talk to you <laughs> like you're interesting yeah. you're different <laughs> exactly how and it I was would just be. like I don't know it was it was a little bit strange for me like I understand their reaction in terms of I guess that is how most people would react um but to me yeah I'm like I don't know maybe it's different in different situations but I was like well I'm here to meet people and did you think it might bit... be an extremism like in the sense of like it was a very extreme mannerism like people okay. thought oh well you're so far one way that yeah. i find that too uncomfortable uh, yeah i i really don't know i do wonder some do are people worried about asking questions or being in a conversation where they like they don't know the answers or they don't have the knowledge um like i would be wary in terms of offending someone but i think if they've brought it up they're obviously open to discussion about that yeah so yeah you, me, you'd expect people to keep the book closed entirely if they weren't interested in discussing yeah. it but then i like i kind of like that because i'm mixed race and i have um, a very sort of culturally diverse background family all across the world and Obviously, my appearance lends itself to a you know a very large Arabian man. I suppose would be the best way of putting it. So <laughs> when people see me, there is this initial kind of like, oh, do I do I approach the fact that he might be religious, even I'm not religious in any sort of way? I do get a lot of people saying to me just in casual conversation or very reluctantly asking me things like, so are you a practicing Muslim or do you come from a different country? Where is your oh, accent from? These kind yeah. of things. And I just, I've noticed the uncomfortable nature on their face. Whereas I've sort of learned to live with it and express who I am over 32 years. These people, this might be their first kind of, you know, encounter yeah. with somebody of my type. Maybe it's, I don't know. To me, the thing that sounds strange is, are you a practicing? Like, is that a language thing that I don't like? I wouldn't expect someone to say, are you a practicing Christian? 
Yeah, like, it's almost like you they Christian? have a fear of it. <laughs> yeah, I, like, yeah, I know. I get yeah. the impression like it's. Are like, you practicing? Oh, well, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, like what are you doing in there? I want to know what you're up to. Like almost like trying to get secretly divulge information on the Muslim Brotherhood. Like I don't really know. It's not a secret kind of thing going on. If that's what you're implying, people's questions become more and more uncomfortable. But the thing is, I kind of despite everything I go through, I kind of enjoy uncomfortable situations because I'm so used to being on the other end of it. So I like making people either feel at ease or just kind of almost poking fun at them a little bit. I know it's a terrible thing to say, but I kind of feel like sometimes I'm like, well, you know, you never know if the right mosque approaches me, I might be turned. It's <laughs> kind of this mentality of people are so fearful of a certain religion, yeah. I think. And particularly in today's age with the stereotypes that fly around the media, you know, you've only got to pick up the front page of certain obnoxious newspapers to read that so i think i kind of play up to that a little bit at times or but most more often than not i just try and i don't want to say educate people because that sounds quite condescending but i just like to try and nudge people in the right direction a little bit and make them understand that no we're not all you know terrifying extremists you know i'm just i'm not even anything of that i was born in england so realistically i'm not really anything other than an appearance I suppose it's it's like you say it's what gets publicised, and there's so many um, there's so many people that practice various faiths, let's say, um, yeah. and just because one or two get hiked up in terms of they're involved in some sort of crime or activity that inevitably leads to their religion for some reason being part of of whatever they've done. Um, when actually a lot of the time it's it's not related at all. Like yes, they no. happen to have that religion in the same way they happen to be male or female. Um, but I think we see it a lot with mental health as well. Um, and a lot of the time, mental health appears up until this year. I'll say um, in the media, it's always been around. Um, this crime has happened. This person killed themselves, killed other people, attacked yeah. people. Um, oh, they've got a mental health illness. Now, maybe they do. Um, and you can argue whether someone would have to have uh, a mental health illness to do those things in the first place. I still kind of lean towards the fact that actually just some people are nasty. Um, and so it's not to do with their mental yeah. health at all. No, I totally agree. Um, but it kind of falls into that... Again, like I see with certain religions where, okay, maybe 5% of the people that have a mental health illness commit some sort of crime. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone does, and it doesn't mean that a majority do. Um, and I know there's the statistic that gets floated around every so often um, that people with a mental health illness are actually much more likely, I, I can't remember the percent, but much, much, much more likely um, to be a victim of crime rather than a perpetrator. Yet that in no way is ever kind of publicised, I don't think, in mainstream media. No, I think mainstream media... The, the biggest problem with it is that it's still a tool. It's still divisive in the way it's used. So, for instance, you know, it, there's a lot of parallels, actually, between the way we target a certain race or a certain religion to the way we target mental health. Mental health in its own right has become almost a a race or a religion of its own people with mental health they're put into a different bracket you know oh, don't speak to that person they're a bit crazy or whatever like i've sort of obviously you'll know just as well as me growing up with it that you do encounter a lot of that and 
to look at it from both ends of the spectrum, I think that the media, I don't want to go all conspiracy theorist on you because I've been listening to way too much higher side chats lately, but it's a case of, um, I'm not really a conspiracy theorist myself, but I just find the notion of a lot of them fascinating. And there is very much a drive to, there's an agenda, isn't there, with media. They will yeah. use a certain device to create a certain kind of fear or stir up a propaganda of sorts. Mm. I think there's definitely a direction that they take, and it's always going to be, um, it's always going to be dramatized. It's just kind of the way it comes across, I think. Um, and personally, I feel like there has been a a bit of a change this year, where we've seen a lot more uh, campaigns, um, events, activities, um, a lot more people that are interested in kind of being role models or key speakers. Um, around mental health and I think um, that maybe has led to a slight change in the way that mental health is perceived Um, but again I think it's a bit more I don't don't know I feel like it's hit as a topic whereas as soon as something's someone has an issue it's like oh that's because it's mental health isn't it and it's kind of that crossover where we're getting to a stage where Mental health is something we can talk about, and it's okay. But you better not talk about a personal situation or your own experience. We can only talk about this as a vague topic. (laughs) That's essentially it's a case of people looking at us and saying, well, okay, we accept you as people. We accept that you have something different. But I still don't want to hear about it. It's that kind of like, I imagine this is what um, the homosexual crowd came into, you know, the LGBT community. It was like, okay, well, we kind of accept that, you know, you do gay things. You know, that's how they would probably put it. But uh, don't be telling me about your gay things. I don't want to hear them. That's unacceptable. We've kind of got comfortable with that now. So now we're trying to breach the walls of mental health. I know, I know. It's just, it's, there are, yeah, I could see that there would be similarities in terms of, yeah, we can accept that there are gay people, um, but we don't want to hear about what you've done as a gay person. We can accept there's mental health, mm. but we don't want to hear about how that's affected you. Like, just. Whereas if yeah. you notice the straight people, there's, um, there's very much a case of straight people, it's like, oh, well, I did this in bed and I did that and yeah. she did this. And it's like, okay, well, that's acceptable. But, you know, if the gay guy at the table pipes up, yeah. people are like, oh, no, come on, man, we don't want to hear that. And it's like, we still haven't got a hundred percent comfortable with certain facets of people and what they suffer through or what they have. I've got this awesome poster at work um, that says, have you told your parents you're straight yet? (laughs) (laughs) I must have that. There's a couple, I can't remember, I think they're possibly like from an Australian website or somewhere like that. And there's like three or four and they're just, they're absolutely amazing. Um, And I just love, uh, unfortunately the quality is not the highest, but it's it's worth putting them up because they're just so funny. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, there's so many, there are so many crossovers. And I think when we're talking about kind of personal stories and getting into it a little bit more, I don't know if that's a kind of cool segue into you telling us a little bit about your story. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I mean, I kind of knew from a younger age, I've noticed a lot of your listeners probably, um, a lot of your guests have said the Mm. same sort of thing. Like I always knew I had some sort of you know, issue. I don't like using the word issue because I don't like to think it is an issue. I just feel like it's, I've grown to accept that it's now a facet of my character, of my mm. existence. I just, it's something I live with on a day to day basis. No different from, say, somebody who might have a long term illness or a long term injury. It's something that you almost 
I don't know, you just kind of integrate it with your life and you move forward. So, you know, when I was a very young, I was very, I was very quiet. Like my mum would always say, my mum still does, they said, you were very quiet as a child. You didn't really say a great deal. I was bullied a lot and harassed because I was very quiet. I had a, I definitely knew inside me that I wasn't entirely right so to speak i just felt like oh, i had real hard time socializing but you just put that down to being a child and you you move on and you don't really know and then when i was about to my late teens when i got into about 18 19 i sort of really started paying attention you get to that age where you just start looking for your own knowledge you don't just sit there and just accept what's been told to you at school and at college and university is where I got the breach because I met someone like Drew who we mentioned earlier. And as I was talking to Drew, I think he was probably, he probably understood from the get go. He's like, this guy's definitely got mental health issues, but he doesn't really want to accept it. And so throughout uni, it was like a discovery of trying to work out who I was as a person. I'm sort of sitting there thinking, well, (laughs) I'm having problems reacting to certain things. All of a sudden I'm becoming, what I didn't realize is I was becoming incredibly anxious and just having a really hard time dealing with very small notions of things. My brain was calculating things over and over and over to the point where it was an obsession. It was really unhealthy, very uncomfortable. You know, things like meeting a girl or going on a date, these things became absolute flashpoints, like volcanoes of emotion and trying to just like everyone else is like, Oh, just, just calm down. What's wrong with you? And I'm just like, I don't actually know. Like, and this, once I got out of university, I'm out there on my own. You know, you don't have the comforts. You don't have the safety nets anymore that come with your friends, the local pubs, you know, the social activities and the course that you're doing. So I was at the time a very avid football fan. Still am now, but I supported a different team, a much bigger team. And I was very much consumed by that. I felt right. If I just surround myself with that, that will get rid of the voices and the things that were going on in my head, the anxiety, the depression, so to speak. And I sort of thought, okay, well, I'll just go to the football. And then all of a sudden I was doing very divisive and damaging things to myself. There was alcohol involved. There was drugs involved. Sex was involved. It was an incredible, what I thought was a good time because I was completely out of control. So I thought, oh, this is great. This is keeping me on the straight and narrow. In actual fact, it was damaging me further. Mm. And it came to a point where it was becoming so damaging and so threatening to my health and to my lifestyle, to my well-being as a person. And I eventually, at about 24 or 25, just kind of thought, right, well, I'll go and speak to the doctor. Depression had always been a topic in our house that people didn't want to mention. My mum actually suffers from depression herself. And... She, like myself, I think she had the same thing where she just wouldn't accept it. She was like, no, no. Obviously, she's from a different generation as well, where, you know, if you were considered depressed, that was unacceptable. You know, I'll just, yeah, the classic phrase, pull yourself together. Mm. And so I went to, I was very lucky. I had a wonderful doctor. Dr. Roberts was her name. She was almost like a friend to me. You're very personal friend. She would always listen to me rant. She'd give me a 10 minute slot and I'd sit there for half an hour and just, chat and talk her ears off and i remember going there and i was incredibly suicidal incredibly suicidal and i'd already attempted to commit suicide once when i was 24 on drugs um i was using hard drugs and thinking this is probably the best way to get through it is just to try and one day it got very dark very disappointing everything just 
as you know, the clouds come in and everything just goes dark. And I thought that's that's enough for me. I can't take it anymore. The pain was too much for me. And, you know, I started using hard drugs and I thought, well, you know, if I hammer enough of these and unfortunately, as more often than not will happen with these things. And as I was educated later by people like paramedics and doctors is actually what you ended up doing was just damaging part of your internal system. So, you know, into hospital, uh, I believe it's, uh, it was Queen Alexandria, which is quite local to us in Caution. Yeah. And going down there and obviously that was kind of you know without you know removing all the gory details and that obviously my body had to be filtered i had to be monitored and coming out of that i i think they thought okay well this is his warning sign to you know get back in the game and wake up and in actual fact i was just worse so i eventually approached the doctor as i said and initially she believed with my behavior because i had very manic episodes so i had ludicrous natures of spending i would spend all my money instantaneously on drugs alcohol items that don't matter materialistic possessions and then all of a sudden once it was gone it'd be like oh christ like this manic suicidal nature and then we go back to it was very wild i remember one day i woke up and just honestly felt like i was self-harming a lot and for me that was the only thing i was like oh just keep cutting yourself keep cutting yourself i was cutting my arms ferociously and not understanding that and then the next day i woke up and i was like hallelujah like very like this i was like what the hell like, not really comprehending it not really understanding it because i'm not truly aware so when i went to the doctor she was like this sounds very much like bipolar bipolar one mm-hmm. so we're gonna push you down that route in the meantime here's some drugs as they always do <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a case of have some candy and then they sort of let you run around and I went to a specific, I went down to um, the psychiatric ward for lack of a better term down in Haven. They sort of analyzed me and they were like, we believe it's bipolar one. So what we're going to do is give you this cocktail of drugs, essentially. And as you probably know from, you know, being so well educated on the subject, you have to find the right balance, the right kind of cocktail of drugs to combat this situation so there was a lot of there was about six to eight months of just pure management trying to understand what's right for me and they felt they had the right balance and then for about two or three years it was a case of just trying to ride through it i remember going to work and having very violent episodes confrontations with people i'm sure you know when people listen to this they'll probably be like i remember that amir and (laughs) You know, because I'm still there. I've been a postman for 13 and a half years, quite tragically. But hey, it's, oh. it's a stable job, so I know I'm. Uh, you know, I'm your friendly delivery postman. I try to be friendly at least, but uh, you know what customers are like. But oh, yeah, but no, you I get just the exercise as well. If you're out and about, you like, do fresh air. Like it's actually yes. There's stuff that comes with that job that is massively beneficial. Yeah, like uh, to be honest, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a fat guy, but I'm fairly chunky. You know, you've, if you've seen any photos of me, I'm quite a sizable guy. You know, I'm six foot three. I'm about 270, 280 pounds. So I'm a big guy. And I sort of like, well, to be honest, being frank, if it wasn't for that job, I'd probably be about 500 pounds. It's quite scary, actually. <laughs> the amount of garbage I tend to shovel into my system at times. I have these hilarious episodes where I'm like a week of just salads. And then the following week, it's like, bring me all of the garbage. Bring it to me. Just <laughs> shoveling it in by the nature. It's just, it's a pretty wild nature. But yeah, sorry, getting back on topic. Um, so I had two or three years of these 
episodes, uh, the thing was that they hadn't really tackled the anxiety and that was what was really damaging to me the most. And over two or three years, I literally spent every other day as a, in the unisex toilet at work crying uncontrollably sometimes to the point of trying not to scream. And this might come as a surprise to some people because I tried my hardest to hide it as everyone does. And just sitting there every day and contemplating the very existence of my life, thinking, I just, I can't do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be alive. This, everything about me. And I used to blame the job. I'd blame the people around me, the way people would egg me on, because there's a very high level of machismo banter in our office as there is being such a male dominated environment. It's getting a bit better now. But at the time, it was just so full on. And. The drugs I felt weren't helping. I was still having episodes, issues, and I went back to my doctor again, who was unfortunately just on the way out. So I just caught her just before she sort of left for greener pastures. And she said, right, we're going to try and strip it back down again. We don't really know really whether you have the bipolar or not obviously the guys at the therapy unit were giving me the tests the majority of those were coming up with essentially positive like well you do have all the facets the signs of it but until we can get you on this right cocktail which just wasn't working i felt that it was damaging me i was taking different drugs and every single cocktail would bring a different facet of my character sometimes i was incredibly aggressive which is not my nature at all then other times i would be ludicrously excitable to the point where I was like, Oh, I'm just going to jump off this roof onto the back of that van. That seems like a good idea. Uh, crazy episodes, you know, wrestling people in the car park, trying to German suplex them on bonnets, just weird things like that. Like really strange episodes. And which, I mean, as a wrestling fan, you're probably thinking, well, that's just something you do when you're, when you're young, trying to elbow drop your cousins and whatnot off the uh, sofa. But when you're taking it into the, uh, the yard of work, probably best to kind of tailor it back a little bit. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're, for the hardcore title but that's just pushing things a little bit too yeah. far excuse the rubbish wrestling <laughs> yeah some people sitting there thinking what the hell is a hardcore title and other people are like yes 24 7 rule talk to me about crash holly so um Money, holly. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so yeah i went back and a lot of extensive therapy i would go to a lot of sessions and but they were sort of fits and spits because i just even at that age, 26, 27, I just didn't want to accept what was wrong with me. And it's amazing. That was only like five years ago. And eventually they just said, right, well, you know, after a plethora of bad relationships, which had made things even worse for me, they were like, right, okay, we just need to, we need to sort of take everything away, strip it all back and see what we can do with you. So, right, just take some fluoxetine. That was it. Here's your fluoxetine. Try and, look at yourself as a human being, try and speak to the right people, try and just, you know, reach out. You know what it's like when you're trying to discuss that with somebody who doesn't understand it. Yeah. Please go and speak to somebody who knows what they're talking about, who can point you in the right direction. Cause even the therapist I was speaking to down in heaven weren't entire. I almost got the impression. They didn't believe me. They mm-hmm. had this kind of very obnoxious nature. And I think the health service itself at the time really struggled to understand it. And I think it's only really in the last couple of years that we've got to a point where people, the right professionals are in the right place to help the right people. And there was a lot of me being shoveled to different areas and being spoken. And a lot of times people were just like, you're not depressed. You're just, you know, impulsive and have an issue. Mm. 
And so when I got back to doctors and when I went down the correct therapy routes and got to speak to the right people, they were essentially right. Well, we really have narrowed it down to severe depression, severe anxiety. Okay. Seems like quite a, I didn't understand. I was like, I, I don't understand what it is. I didn't understand anxiety at the age of 27. Hmm. And that's been essentially, as you will know, obviously following me on Twitter and chatting to me, yeah. that's still the biggest issue that I have now is anxiety more so than the depression because I don't at this moment take drugs. But for that next five years, I was given the correct amount. I felt they moved me on to Satanabram because I had bad reactions of lexatine. And before you knew it, I was starting to at least find a almost like a level, a ground sort of, so to speak. You know, I could put my feet on the ground and just say, this is yeah. my space. I can understand where I am right now. Mm. And as you get older, you become more educated. And the real turning point for me was when I went and did a, a CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Yeah. And because I'd never had that before. Now... Uh, we've had a very small discussion about it on Twitter about the fact that we, they just don't offer you enough. Mm. Certain people, they just don't give you enough. Time. I was given 10, 10 sessions of CBT, and I still don't think within me that was enough, but it, it was enough to at least push me in the right direction. I had that about two and a half years ago, and ever since, I've at least had a certain degree of control over what I'm doing. I don't take the medication anymore because I seem to have very bad reactions to a lot of them. I don't know if that's a medical issue. They don't really understand that, but they're very reluctant to put me back on them unless things get really difficult for me. Yeah. So I'm essentially, you know, riding solo without any kind of medication or help. So the CBT was the most important thing for me. Uh, I don't mind admitting even on this platform that there has been times recently where it's got quite difficult again, thoughts of self-harm and stuff of that have come through and i thought right well i need to go back and speak to the right people which is what i'm doing now that's mm. the important change in me is that i at least understand now what's wrong with me what i can do to help that but the anxiety was the biggest thing for me because still to this day it's scary how little episodes little things will tear me to pieces you know i work 50 hours a week i dedicate 20 25 hours to podcast every week i go to you know, I'm very a very loyal fan of two football teams, Fulham and Lincoln City, which is my local team. I was born in Lincoln. And for me, that should be enough. But I still find myself with episodes. I still find myself struggling to build relationships, maybe with girls I like, or, you know, I struggle to do simple things, simple subjects, because my brain is just an absolute war zone. I understand this minefield of things. And the drugs would calm that down. But at the same time, when I was younger, because I was still completely rejecting the whole concept of things, I think mentally that created some sort of block where, yeah, you're taking these drugs. Yeah, they're having a certain effect. But I was fighting essentially what it was trying to do with me because I was just like, no, no, I don't don't like the idea of something else controlling me because I'm so uneducated. I'm screaming out to people like, ah, oh, it's trying to get in my head. You know, it, it doesn't exist. People around me are telling me you're not depressed. You're just stressed, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's I, nice to, sorry, carry on fella. No, I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm on a bit of a rant. <laughs> I think it is, it is interesting because um, when you were talking through as well, so much I think happens when you get that chance to actually sit down and talk about it. And like you say, it can be a case of running through different types of medication or different treatment. Um, 
And like you said, arguably, we're always going to be affected in some way, shape or form by, by the mental health illness that we have or affected yeah. by. But um, like, there's so much progression. Like you say, from years back where you're struggling with substance misuse, like uh, potentially, I guess, like damaging relationships uh, and whatever else is going on, to being at a stage where we yes there's going to be moments where we struggle and yes you continue to have episodes but you're in such a better place now than you were then you're more able to deal with those situations um when they occur um and i think a lot of that in my mind at least comes at the center from talking about it um and that can be about the accepting that yes we are affected by this so like you say at a young age so many people are told um like you don't have this or you shouldn't be acting like that um and it creates that i, I don't know like a just the non-acceptance of like it makes it worse because you're not old enough to understand or comprehend what's going on and all you're told is well basically that's not happening you're like you're making it up yeah. or you you're being stupid like that's it's not as bad as you're saying and i think once you're older you're able to understand actually like this person just they don't quite get it in the same way that if you were talking about football or wrestling you talk to someone and say actually yeah this person's okay they're listening to me but they just they're not involved in this conversation they don't understand mm. it um they don't understand the hardcore title so i'm not going to talk to them about it <laughs> and as an adult you'll go and find someone that will talk to you about it and be like oh my god 24 7 rules you can pin them anywhere and yes. that conversation <laughs> opens up whereas it's the same with mental health like if we're sat here and we're talking about depression um and there's someone else that's not necessarily been affected um and this could be me being ju- judgmental a lot of the time there's a level to where they'll say okay yeah that happens and people are upset and um go on for a period of time but after that um yeah they really like they just need to be like going out and doing more and putting more effort into it they should just be happier or take joy from the fact that Mm. they're alive and they have a job or whatever i think you you've not quite got the gist of how that illness works it isn't a logical process if it was logical none of us would have depression or anxiety um none of us would have ocd um and it's when you sit down and you talk to people and like actually everything that goes on around depression anxiety schizophrenia ocd whatever else i completely mm, completely is maybe the wrong word i understand the basis of the illness i've spoken to people that severely affected by ocd and at the base of it, I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. But I am able to ignore the things that they will um, not be able to drop. I can mm. say, actually, do you know what? Yep, yeah, that's been on the floor. Um, yeah, it's not great. I really should put it in the bin. And if, But I'm kind of hungry, so I'll ignore it and I'll eat it. Um, but to them, the fact that it's come off the plate might be enough that they say, do you know, I, I just can't. I can't touch that. I can't yeah. eat that. Um, and while I can understand it, I can't have it to that level. Um, and I think it's from the more people you talk to, the more you're open to like, yeah, I don't quite understand that, but more I'm happy to listen to you talk about it. Um, but then understanding, yeah, some people just won't connect with that conversation. And mm. um, like you were saying, with the different health services, you can get that there. I've had um, GPs that are like, 
very um, here's medication this is the sort of service that's available um, and I do think that's the way we get directed a lot of the time um, yeah nice. the times that I've been in it's been a case of I have to say I've never been pressured or forced into having medication but um, the times that I've been in and spoken about treatment um, it's always a case of basically you've got medication or CBT um, if you want to do CBT you're going to be waiting three four five months so yeah. basically you can carry on fighting um, or you can have the medication is pretty much your options um, I know a few people that have been treated a little bit quicker um, but as a general rule yeah you're looking at three to five months wait and I think that's where you end up with people will decide I don't want to take medication and they'll really really struggle or you end up on medication and you start that like let's start mixing around and work out what's best for you fortunately for me um like i was i started on satilopram i'm still on satilopram um i've just increased the i don't know what you call it uh, dosage yes that's the one mm. good words um yeah so <laughs> that degree my, came in handy finally <laughs> yeah. um like my dosage has gone up but i stayed on the same medication so there's not been that mass mix over like i thought about um changing on to something else when i was struggling with it but for me i'd already increased my dosage so i would have had to drop down before i could swap over um mm. and at the time while i was struggling i was like i don't i'm struggling now i don't want to drop down the medication that i'm taking because i will only get worse um so for me it was it was better off to stay on what i was taking but um i i completely understand when people are like I, I'm struggling, I'm taking different types of medication and it's not working and think, yes, but look at the progress that is happening. Actually, yeah. if you'd been able to have this conversation when you were 13, 15, 20, rather than waiting until you're 25, 30 or whatever, um, the progress could have started much earlier and potentially that illness wouldn't have had the effect it has had or is having in the same way that we are oh let's make sure you're checking your balls and your boobs for cancer well isn't this the same thing like let's yeah. let's not leave it until it turns into something where you are suicidal let's actually look at do you know what like, this guy's maybe affected by by something there's maybe some ocd traits there there's maybe something that says might be being affected by anxiety or depression or whatever let's maybe have a chat with him maybe it doesn't have to be like big oh my god you are you're depressed like actually no this is just affecting you let's have a little bit of a chat about it and we're gradually getting there but very very slowly i think um and i i i don't know i can't tell now whether it's because i'm talking to more people that are in that situation where they're yeah potentially in a, a stage where they're still affected but they're improving um and i think oh couldn't that process just through as a society us being more open about mental health have happened years ago yeah i think there's the awareness is definitely there the progression is there i think people shut out mental health entirely for a long time i know my own family did for a long time i sort of i noticed that people close to me people around me they distanced themselves when i started becoming different when i started really understanding what was wrong with me for a while because they were like oh watch out he might have a bad reaction or he might do something because he's becoming more aware of what's wrong with him and i think over time people are starting to accept well, the majority of people who have mental health disorders any sort of mental health issues they're just 
absolutely upstanding, respectable people who won't do anything towards you. They just might handle something differently, which, to be honest, isn't that different from just being a normal human in that respect. I say normal, yeah. like, you know, you well, know what I mean? There's, <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, yeah, I just did the old air quotations as per normal. Uh, I just kind of think, well, yes, someone with mental health is an entirely different prospect to maybe somebody who doesn't have any mental health issues or isn't aware of them at the time. But at the same time, they're a completely functional human being. And that was the biggest fear I had was that I felt, right, I have mental health disorders. I have bipolar one. So I'm utterly useless in society. People are now going to think, right, well, you're just a freak. Get out of the way. And in actual fact, a lot of my issues were based around the fact that I was blaming myself and I was giving other, I made it an excuse and I never do now. Whenever people meet me, they say, Oh, I didn't realize, or, Oh, you know, you never mentioned things like this because it's not an excuse to me. It's just something I now live with. Like I said to you at the start of the conversation, I feel like I've now just made it a facet of my character. I just understand that it's there. And there are days, obviously, where I'm just in full meltdown, particularly the anxiety especially is very crippling to me and still is now, which is why I'm seeking new avenues of help, looking to try and get back to CBT because I cannot stress this enough to anyone who is listening. CBT is so important and it can genuinely change. It's not for everyone, I must admit, but for me, it changed my life. It genuinely did. From the very first session I sat down to the last, I felt that I had so much more drive, so much more energy and focus on what I was doing. And two years ago, I literally was wallowing in a pit of my own misery, miserable relationship. Everything was miserable, hating my job. And then, After those 10 sessions, I don't think that was enough personally, but I do know enough that after those 10 sessions, I understood what I needed to do within myself. Instead of just looking out for other people and reaching out and saying, please help me, it was more a case of, right, well, using this direction of behavior, using this pattern of behavioral issues, I can at least amend things that I'm doing. And that became the ambition and the drive. You probably know it as far as my social media. I'm always doing something. I'm always oh at the football. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I am. Yeah, everyone says, oh, my God. Like, my friend Mark at work comes up to me the other day. He's like, what are you doing in Gloucester last night at 3 in the morning? And I'm just like, come on. <laughs> it is a bit manic. And I feel that the bipolar nature of me might have sort of almost attached itself to that. Like, right, you're going to drive. Well, I'm going to drive you even further. So, like, last week was a classic example of that. You know, Monday, weight training. Tuesday, I'm in Forest Green. <laughs> Forest Green versus Lincoln in Gloucester. Don't get home till three in the morning. Randomly just charging through fields of cows trying to get home. And <laughs> just random things like this. Wednesday night, I'm in London for Fulham. Thursday and Friday, having to binge record all of our podcasts. And just at the end of the week, I was like... I need to stop. I'm starting to burn up here. Like, you know, just like breathe, just breathe for a moment. Cause it's like, but that's what CBT did for me. It gave yeah. me the drive and ambition to go and do the things I love. That podcast, I've been yelling about that for six years, going on and on air, boring the tears off of all my exes talking their ears off. I'm going to be a podcaster. I'm going to go to WrestleMania. I'm going to do all these things. And they just never materialized. Because of my excuses, I would always be like, oh, too depressed to do it. Whereas now I'm like, right, because of that, I need to do it. And in the last six months, it's just flourished, really, because I've had the drive to do it. So that's really my sort of story to everyone is, you know, if you are considering CBT or you feel you might need it or someone's recommended you to it. For me personally, it's been the massive 
driving change in my life. That's the reason that I'm at least functional and consider myself to be a fairly well-adjusted human being now is simply because that pointed me in the right direction. Sometimes it's just a matter of people telling you which way to go and pointing you in the right direction. It's not always about have some candy, have some drugs, cram this into your system. Sometimes it is, you know, that's obviously a facet of everything that goes with it. But for me, it was almost like I needed the therapy more. And that's what's been the real driving force, even if I have had obviously lapses lately. Mm, I think it's a big thing that it provides. I think a lot of people are almost pointed to CBT, I guess one, because it is helpful, it is useful, but two, a lot of the time it's used as like an interim thing before you get the one-to-one therapy. Um, And for me, like the CBT is more useful than the one-to-one stuff um, because you get that, um, like you're in with other people that are affected by something similar to you, but potentially different. Um, So I've heard people talk about going along to anxiety, um, CBT stuff where it wasn't great and it just didn't really match what they were affected by. Um, And I went along to a, what was mine? Mine was like improving your mood or lifting low mood or something like that. Yeah. And there was a mixture of people in there affected by like a complete range of stuff. Um, Real mixture of ages um and it was actually really nice to be like there's people in here that are a couple of years younger than me there's people in here that are around my age lots of people that are a lot older um and it was nice just to hear like actually yeah we're all affected by this it's all a little bit shit um but we're here to talk about it um and that was that was really cool that was really eye-opening because we all know like yes loads of people are affected by this yes i'm not the only one but actually sitting in a room and be like, okay, everyone in this room, we're all struggling. We're all in a fucking shit place. Yeah. <laughs> but let's have a chat about it. Let's talk about um, what could work, what we're going to try. Some stuff works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Um, I might be really affected by this, but you're not. Um, and that was really cool for me because it kind of opened up that idea of actually talking to people and also talking to people, but being there face to face. Uh, and not being like I, I can't think of my timelines now but I think I was already doing the podcast then I must have been um, yeah. but I don't know that I'd necessarily really sat down with a group of people and been like yeah let's talk about depression and like struggling with like wanting to be alive and stuff and uh, that was just really good uh, like the the stuff that we worked on each week mine was slightly different I didn't have I had six weeks instead of ten um, so I don't know hmm. what you're moaning about uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry everyone <laughs> um, but yeah I had weeks where we had one where it was all about um, like alcohol and diet and I was like right I'm not drinking I haven't been drinking for months so arguably that is sorted food I know my diet should be much better I eat too many fatty foods I don't eat enough fruit and veg I know that needs to be improved. There's nothing really for me to learn here. Um, So, Mm. like, that week was a complete write-off. But, again, it was nice because you get to hear, like, some other people struggled with that or had different things going on. And it was kind of the... Over those six weeks, you were looking at different things that some of us were really affected by certain things and others weren't. And it kind of helps you to feel a little bit better as well, I think, because you're like, actually, do you know what? This is week four, and I've got this week down. I I don't need to worry about any of this. Um, and that was quite like a positive thing, I think. Um, 
and some of the like the resources and stuff like there was the um like the weekly journal of activities and tasks and stuff and I was like yeah cool idea but there's no way I'm doing that I did it like the one week for so we could talk about it the following week um and that was it like I'm never going to do that again it's it doesn't work for me but some of the stuff that I picked up in like other sessions was really good and I remember I think this might have been like a different CBT workshop and um we were talking about like just not investing so much in like some of the emotional struggles that we have internally and it was something that I'd started to do already because I, I I really struggle sometimes with episodes that apparently are kind of similar to like a panic attack um, and I've just become really angry and really annoyed at myself and really emotional and um, those episodes have before lasted hours um, wow. and gradually over time like I'm now down to like most of the time when they're happening it's like a few minutes so like mm. five to ten minutes is the most they're going to last um and that's kind of come from like when it happens just kind of accepting it's going to happen letting it happen trying not to get as upset about it happening yeah. um or as angry about it so you're just not investing like an additional emotion in it yeah and um i was like this is going really well and uh, I remember it got brought up in one of the sessions and they did this thing with, um, it was meant to be rope, but we didn't have rope. So it was like an IT cable and um, <laughs> <laughs> very like make use of what's in the room. Absolutely. And, uh, so the, oh, what are they called? Practitioner? The practitioner held one end yeah. of the, the cord and I held the other end. And um, up on the board behind him is all, all the good stuff that we've written down as a group. So like family, friends, like leisure stuff maybe a job or whatever and then all of the negative stuff is written on post-its on him so like self-hatred like money problems blah 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 and um he said so like the closer you are to me the less you can see of the board because your focus is on me i'm the thing that's closest to you further away from me the more clearer you can see you can still see me but you can also see all of the stuff that you want to do that you're aiming for it's like right okay cool um, so we're holding both ends of this cable and so he starts to pull it. So you're pulled in towards all this stuff that you're struggling with. And um, the idea was that if you let go of the cord, so if you let go of those emotions, all of that negative stuff is still going to be there, but you're just not as affected by it. And I was like, oh my God, this is like what I'm doing now with the episodes. This is like the non-investing in it. And it like kind of explained something I was already doing. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then um, he picks up the cable and throws it across to me and I grab it. And he's like, and that's what we do. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, I saw it, damn it, I got it straight away. <laughs> and he was like, we get to a stage where we're able to recognise what's going on. We can make those changes. But then over a period of time, it's a natural reaction. We just buy back into it. We can't not grab onto the rope or the cable or whatever. We can't not invest in those emotions. Yeah. Um, and although what we were talking about was something I was already doing... That end bit, I think, had a real benefit to me because I was like, actually, yeah, I was doing that and it was working okay. But I could so easily have maybe done that for a couple of months and then gone, actually, do you know what? Yeah, it's improved, but I'm still, I'm still having that. It's still going on. Actually, what a failure this is that I still haven't got to a stage where this doesn't happen. Um, and so the activity was really cool. And sometimes it's small little things like that that were probably like a one, two minute activity sounds a little bit jumped up but activity that actually has made a massive difference to the way i approach 
um, the episodes that I really, really struggle with as part of my mental health. And I think yeah. it's it can be small things like that that you pick up in CBT, that you pick up from talking to other people that really struggle. Um, and all the time we don't talk about it or we, we're not open to trying different types of support or treatment, um, we're really limiting the ways that we can improve or that we no can question. better... Maybe not improve. The way that we can better adapt or um, deal with those issues that we're affected by. Um, so it's really cool to hear you talk about your experience with CBT as well. Yeah, I've, um, I sort of, yeah, I, I try not to be too obnoxious about it, but I mean, especially in the last couple of years, I think where I've been in the same job for so long, I think people around me who work with me at a similar kind of time, mm. they understand that there was things that were wrong with me that still are wrong with me. And I still remember my friend Steve saying to me, like, I was so appreciative of it. He just put a hand on my shoulder and he said that you're at a place now where you can educate people. You can use your voice to help other people. And I sort of didn't really look at it. I, I'd never seen myself as like, you know, a, a, a spokesperson of any kind or anything like that. But I am very helpful and I do like helping people. I'm always racing around trying to solve people's solution um, problems, making solutions for them and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I, fi- I just remember that and I've sort of taken that forward with me now. And that was kind of one of the things that's why I was so excited when you asked me to be on here. Cause it was like, this is my chance to sort of say to people, yeah, I am a six foot three, big hulking mass of humanity. <laughs> I, yes, I look terrifying to some people. Yes. You probably think, Oh, well he hasn't got any problems. Look at the size of him. Nobody's going to give him trouble. And it's like, no, it doesn't matter about your image or how you yeah. look like for me, it was so important because people do have that, conclusion of me they look at me and they say jesus christ like what's he got to be depressed about and look at the size of him like you know you're expected to be a certain way because of the way you look or the way you act i'm a very confident person i have a very powerful sense of conversation in me now which i never used to have you know and but yet I still suffer greatly. And there are days when the anxiety is so crippling where I am terrified of any level of failure, even if it's just making a sandwich. I'm like, oh, this sandwich must look right. Otherwise, I'm like, you know, I'll break down in tears like this sandwich wasn't made properly. Like, <laughs> It's incredible how discerning it can be. It can just utterly destroy you in that way. And, you know, obviously mentioning CBT, that was what gave me a balance. It was like, calm down. It's just a sandwich. Calm down. It will fix itself. There is always an opportunity to redo it, to refix if you really want to. Hmm. And that was the thing with my podcast. I remember doing the podcast the first time. I'm not sure if you had this. When I first did the podcast, I was terrified of failing in it or not getting to reach enough people. Mm. and thinking oh nobody's gonna listen to me nobody's gonna like me i'm just a big arab guy ranting about wrestling and then all of a sudden i remember one day uh fraser webb who's actually on the podcast i wanted to give him a shout out because he's been one of the greatest helps to me he's been an amazing friend to me he's really looked after me and he himself has had a lot of mental health difficulties and he said to me once success isn't about how many 
people that you've had listen to your podcast. It's about the fact that anyone listens at all. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the success is in the fact that you created something. And even if just one person messages you and says, I loved your podcast this week, that is a success. Mm-hmm. Don't ever look at it the other way. People set themselves targets, which is great. I think it's always important to have a, a goal, a dream to aim for. But most importantly, very much like my mental health, it was about finding tiny little steps and just moving forward. That's an achievement. That's an achievement. Before you know, you do culminate into bigger achievements and you can do better things. So that was kind of my thing, really. And obviously, I'm very grateful for the fact I had a platform like yours to be able to sort Mm. of speak to people about it in that way. No, you're more than welcome. No, I think it is... um Oh, the brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first like of the day. Mid, almost <laughs> mid-sentence as well, as well. Oh, God. Um, no, I do think it is It is a case of, I guess, asking yourself why, why you're doing certain things as well. Um, and I know for mm. me, like with the, with the blogging and the podcasting, like it's so easy. You see other people talk about numbers or what they're wanting to do and think, it just kind of reinforces to you sometimes like actually why am I doing this yeah awesome if you get like however many people download or whatever but actually the reason I'm doing it is kind of because I enjoy like this bit it's the it's the chatting to people um it's having the conversation and that's the best bit for me um like the blogging like essentially comes from I quite like writing um and I would argue I'm pretty crap at it. Um, but I wouldn't. I quite, I'd, uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think I come from at least a decent level of writing background. Drew would probably, I, I admit that Drew was probably better than me when it came to writing. But um, from my perspective, you're doing all right. Oh, yes. Uh, well done for your degree as well. Just Thank you. I, uh, yeah, it wasn't a fantastic degree yeah. by any means. No, no, exactly no, no, no. Don't take it back. No, don't take it back. Don't take it. Do you know what? Yes, it's an excellent degree. degree. Thank you very much. I'm. Uh, this is why they call me Lord Channington. You see. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I really like the writing. I especially for me, like when I started, it was I needed that outlet for my mental health. I needed to be able to get something out, and I couldn't talk about it. Um. And it's remembering those things when you're trying to sort of judge or work out, like, how well is this going? Like, I spend this money on getting, like, equipment or I spend this time putting this together or um, trying to work out how to actually put a podcast together. Um, And you're like, well, the reason is because I want to be able to um, sit here and chat with someone like yourself and, um, like, in a week's time or in two weeks' time, I want to be able to sit down and talk to somebody else and to do that you need to kind of share something and i'll share the last conversation i had um and it's the same with the like the blogging like to be able to um i guess talk to some more people or better understand what i'm going through i need to be able to share what i've got and what i go through and to read some other people's stuff and say actually yeah i really when I went for that walk, that actually made me feel a little bit different. And maybe that's something that I can write about because actually I really got a lot from that. But there's reasons why I won't do that every day because of this, this and this or whatever. And that's quite a nice approach to have, I think, because so many people and 
I'll do it as well when you hit like a mile you're like oh yes another hundred people have yeah. um, subscribed or whatever or so many people have downloaded this episode or read this blog post and um, like, yes I'm not saying that's not cool but that's not a target it's not really something that I'm not doing this and that's not the basis for what you're yeah. doing yeah mm. and um, there's nothing wrong with if that's why you're doing something that's fine um, but I think it's working out like you say if you want to work out am I being a success is this doing what I want it to you do have to look back and say actually if I'm trying to reach 20,000 downloads on a podcast well if I'm if that's really my target then you need to work out how you're going to do that actually my target is you know continue to run continue to have conversations with people if people enjoy themselves and want to come back and chat again about something else Mm. then that's Absolutely. great. That's the success. Like you say, sign me up for a return. <laughs> yeah. And like, I want to have, um, it's, they're harder to do. They're really hard to organize, but it'd be really nice to have some podcasts where you have like three people sitting down and chat and you've got kind of that round table going on. And that's really nice. Um, and it's having those ideas as to how you want stuff to develop rather than come on, let's get three more downloads or whatever. Like who cares? Um, yeah. So that might be an instant fulfillment, but I think long term, that's not going to mean as much yeah. as the interactions you have. And that's why you probably noticed on our on the Twitter account that's dedicated to our podcast. It's literally all about the fans. We're trying to f- reinforce this interaction. Yeah. That's why we do things like the PVP and the giveaways and things like that, because for us, it's about interacting with people. It's about giving them something like we've mm-hmm. really narrowed it down to the fact that this isn't about us just ranting about wrestling and people listen to us. It's about us making sure that people have something to do with their week the amount of people who message me and say i'm really you know one guy who listens to us he's suffering greatly with depression and he says that our podcast is literally the one thing that's kept him together so that's why we create these interactive elements we talk to every single person that contacts us because for us that's that's the joy of doing it is helping other people just giving something back as opposed to i'm doing this because i want to be famous (laughs) (laughs) i want to be on heat magazine yes i want to be on (laughs) wwe.com Oh, I'm arguing with Joey Styles. <laughs> oh dear. Well, finishing off of how we're both going to be famous in a month's time for unknown reasons. <laughs> um, if people want to find out a little bit more about you or about your podcast, um, where can they go? Well, there's an army of links, but if you go to at the Smart Plug, Smart is spelled S-M-A-R-K, just in case people are wondering what the hell that word means. It basically means a smart mark, somebody who's smartened up to what wrestling actually is. Like, yes, I'm fully aware that it is scripted. You don't need to keep asking me that. Um, so, yeah. Good explanation as well. I like it's scripted. It's not fake. It's scripted. Well, I mean, I've I've trained personally and I've been hit over the head with items and I've been suplexed and all that sort of stuff. And I can assure you it is incredibly painful. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's um, I recommend everyone try it. Yeah, exactly. Like the funny thing is I got into a wrestling ring and thought, oh, my God, I'm actually a very short human being. I'm quite terrified. Like, there was one guy there called Big John the Enforcer, seven foot tall, just oh like he could God. roundhouse kick at about seven and a half feet high and 
and he literally chopped me once and i felt my soul just leave my body for a moment like you are on your own on that one pal i was like oh god this is criminally painful but it was worth every moment frankly um but yeah if you go to at the spark plug on twitter you can find all the links and stuff i've got a personal twitter account at dunham devil d-u-n-h-o-l-m-e is how you spell devil uh, that's my uh, birthplace in case anyone's wondering what the hell that means <laughs> they're the main places to go uh, i think the main web page for the podcast is actually smartplug.podbean.com we do everything through podbean but if you search it on itunes any kind of podcast subscription services you'll be able to find it very easy it all comes under the name smart plug so if you look for that that's where you'll find it all cool well thank you very much for coming on and telling us a little bit about no, thank your you. story and we've had quite a nice chat about a few different topics as well so it's been pretty awesome so i've really enjoyed it yeah no it's been incredibly eye-opening as everything with my mental health has been so thank you very much for giving me a platform i honestly cannot express how much i appreciate it no worries thanks very much for coming on and we'll we'll be talking soon anyway about the wrestling so yes we um. will <laughs> bringing those predictions to us <laughs> thanks very much for being on today Thank you very much, fella. Take care. Cool. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. So a big thank you to Amir, who is on the podcast today. Uh, and just to kind of restate those links. So Amir's over at Dunham Devil. So that's D-U-N-H-O-L-M-E Devil. And all of the podcast stuff that he's involved with is the Smart Plug so you can go and find that there. And I think that all goes through the website, which is uh, smartplug.podbean.com. So I'll leave that in the description as well. Massive thank you to Amir for coming on to the podcast today or a few days ago now. Uh, it was just really cool to talk to uh, someone that I've started to talk to a little bit in the last couple of weeks, I guess, now. And obviously, as we spoke about, the fact that we both um, know someone that knows both of us, but we didn't know each other apart from through that person recently, uh, just for me, is quite cool in terms of recognising the benefit that the more we speak about some of the stuff that we may struggle with, actually, there's loads of people around us, um, either online or actually just in terms of in the real world, air brackets, um, locally, that we, we're just not aware of because mental health um, is not spoken about openly that there is that stigma that's around it that at the moment prevents a lot of people and it just doesn't happen and while I'm hugely grateful to places like Twitter um, for being able to share and talk about uh, my mental health experience and to Drew uh, who put myself and Amir in contact it also kind of highlights for me the real kind of, I guess, downside of our society at the moment where we wouldn't have come across each other other than sharing our stories online. Um, and I don't know, I just feel there's a little bit there that it's a shame there's not some more stuff going on uh, away from that online space. I don't know. I mean, maybe you feel differently. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Uh I would like to close out just picking up on a couple of things that are going on. So in the next week or so, uh, I will be having some bits and pieces going up around 
the dyslexia and mental health uh, event slash performance that I went along to uh, today or yesterday or let's say recently, um, which was really, really cool and uh, a very interesting experience. Uh, and it was absolutely amazing to be part of the panel for that event. And again, I'll tell you more about that later on. And I also have uh, a blog post that's going to be coming out this week, which is all about uh, blogger recognition. So I'm going to be telling you about that soon as well. Again, a massive thank you to Amir for coming onto the podcast and for sharing his story. Um, I really hope we are able to kind of organise something else as well for, for Amir to come on and we'll maybe talk about um, mental health in a slightly more general sense uh, rather than just going through uh, Amir's experience. And uh, we spoke, at, let's say, at length um, after this recording as well. So there's loads of stuff that we we still want to talk to you guys about and that we want to discuss uh, around mental health. So I really look forward to being able to have Amir back on the podcast again soon uh, and talking about a range of different subjects. Again, if you guys are interested in coming onto the podcast, please do get in contact. Obviously, the best way is through the website, which is mikesopenjournal.com. Uh, and you can check out all of the social media links from there as well. Thank you very much to, to you guys for, for listening, for being part of Mike's Open Journal, which in seven days from now, although probably less by the time you listen to this, uh, the, uh, the blog or the whole of Mike's Open Journal will have been going for two years, which is absolutely amazing. Um, so big thank you to all of you that have supported it and been part of that journey. Um, and I continue to be hopeful for the stories that we can continue to share, the awareness that we can raise, uh, and the amount of support that actually we can show uh, people to or signpost them to. Uh, I'd like to say that there are, I'm aware there's a few people out there that listen to the podcast that don't interact online. Uh, which is perfectly fine. I just want to say thank you very much to you guys for for listening in as well. Um, I really appreciate it. And I really hope that you're able to take away something from the podcasts as well. Please do remember you're not alone out there. There is lots of support, lots of guidance, and there will always be someone that's ready to listen. See you next time.